From the studios of WORQ in Wisconsin, this is the Stand Up For The Truth podcast. Today's issues, overlooked headlines, and biblical observations, equipping the remnant around the globe. Got your sword handy? This is Stand Up For The Truth. Fresh new podcast today, Friday, September 8, 2023. I'm Crash Connell, and we got quite a podcast for you that... Uh, Screaming guitar music you heard before the show was Bruce Carroll, <laughs> back from 1988. Screaming guitar Christian music. Yeah, that's what people think about when they think of me. Screaming guitars. And uh, Mary Danielson, welcome back to the microphone. Oh, it's good to be back. And I'll remind you that today is the uh, birthday of Star Trek. Wow. September 8, 1966. We're Trek fans. Desi so Lou Productions, the, yeah. Yep. Lucy it was Ball. on this date back in 66. All right. We have a great yeah. uh, podcast. Lots to talk about. Yeah. Two special guests today. The Prophecy Conference is kicking off at 1 o'clock. And I have Chris Quintana live in the studio and Bruce Carroll. So I'm really happy to have these guys. Uh, you can uh, Registration is closed online, but you can certainly register at the door. Um, you can also live stream it if you can't make it. And uh, that would be on the uh Calvary Chapel Appleton Facebook page or the Roku app. So um, this should be interesting this morning. We had a great topic, and I have a scripture to open up with as always, and today is Proverbs 2, 1 through 9. My son, if you receive my words and treasure my commands within you so that you incline your ear to wisdom and apply your heart to understanding, yes, if you cry out for discernment and lift up your voice for understanding, if you seek her as silver and search for her as hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom from his mouth, come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk uprightly. He guards the paths of justice and preserves the way of his saints. Then you will understand righteousness and justice, equity, and every good path. Wow, praise the Lord for those verses. Let's pray. Would you pray with me this morning? Oh, Lord, we are so grateful that you give us wisdom and understanding in abundance. And all we have to do is ask. Help us to understand your definitions of righteousness, justice, equity, and every good path. Lord, we're so grateful that uh, you cause us to rise above the things of this life, the things of this world, and that uh, we can just be prepared in our hearts uh, every day, closer and closer to being with you. Thank you, Jesus, so much. I pray for Chris, pray for Bruce, pray for their ministries, their lives, their health, uh, their travels, everything involved, Lord, that you have called them. Thank you so much for them. You've called them, and... um, they have given uh, just a good witness and a good report. Thank you so much for them. Pray you'd bless them, protect them and their families. Uh, bless the podcast today, Lord. I pray that you would also give us wisdom uh, to impart to those who are listening and maybe just need a little bit of hope in these times. Thank you, Jesus. We love you so much. In your name, amen. amen. As I said, I got Chris Quintana here, um, pastor, teacher. I think the listener is very familiar with him, and we're just uh, so happy that he's back with us live in the studio. Uh, oldpath.net, that's the website, and Bruce Carroll. Let me tell you a little bit about Bruce, although you probably know uh, who Bruce is. He first began performing in a trio with his siblings at age 12. He played folk music in various venues in and around Texas in the 70s. In 1979, he became a born-again Christian and moved to Nashville. Signing with Word Records, Carroll became a successful Christian artist, releasing several successful albums, which produced seven Dove Awards for Bruce. 
Two of his recordings, The Great Exchange, that was 1990, and Sometimes Miracles Hide, 92, resulted in Grammy Awards for Best Southern Gospel, Country Gospel, and Bluegrass Gospel Album. Welcome to both of you to Stand Up For The Truth. Thank you very much, Mayor. <laughs> Thank you. I am, I am humbled by that uh, introduction. Actually, it's just a blessing to see you and, and my good Texas buddy, Chris Quintana. Great to have you guys. Um, you know, we are in some really sketchy times here on planet Earth. And uh, I just want to kick this off right away because we want to talk about hope. We want to talk about endings. We want to talk about new beginnings. Um, it appears to me that the very underpinnings of our culture uh, and way of life have been pulled out from under us pretty much in every way. And I think it's led to many of us scratching our heads as to how we got here. Uh, and sometimes we lament that things will never be the same. And that is correct. Life has taken a pronounced turn towards chaos uh, that will not be tamed, that will not be altered. That's what I really believe. I think these guys believe that too. I think many of us never thought that we would see our stable, civilized uh, nation become overrun with wicked people and their wicked agenda. We have an article this morning I think we're going to use to start this off. It's called, uh, Is Disaster Overload a Message in Itself? And his, uh, It's by Dave Hubley with Rapture Ready. Is Disaster Overload a Message in Itself? And I titled this podcast, Hope Does Not Disappoint. Um, the world certainly disappoints. I think we can all talk about that in spades. But I want to just uh, kick off this article a little bit and read a little bit about it. And then I want to open it up for Chris and Bruce. And we're just going to talk about this article. Um, he says, absolutely everywhere you look, there are catastrophic weather and geological anomalies occurring. They roll out without a pause. Disaster overload is being subjected to a continuous deluge of distressing news. The numbing effect that continuous bad news has on people often results in many putting on mental blinders and waiting things for things to get better. But this often unconsciously activates mental response, uh, unconsciously activated, activated mental response depends on some indication that of that possibility existing. It has become obvious there isn't even a hint of normal life resuming. It's like the elephant in the room, impossible to ignore. Then he goes on to say it's no longer happening over there or somewhere else. It's occurring in every country, on every continent, on this staggering and reeling globe. Could the increasing frequency and increasing severity in themselves be a message directly from God that he's using to force humans into facing the reality of the consequences of their sin and rebellion? That's a good question. What do you guys think? I'll, I'll jump in. Um, actually, reading that last bit as you read it, um, that's pretty much what I'll be having for a topic today. Okay. But the first time that I ever came to one of these conferences was 2012. And if we'd have had the conversation then, it used to be, I wonder how much of this we're actually going to see. How much of this will we be here to watch? Mm -hmm. and now we actually know, well, we're going to be here to see more than we probably would have thought 10 years ago. Yeah. But we would have all been able yeah. to conclude that, but it's inevitable. It has mm -hmm. to happen. This, this was going to take place whether we were here or not. So now we're starting to see, well, yeah, there's things that are taking place that we probably wouldn't have expected, yeah. and yet here they are, but it doesn't, I mean, I know this, there, there's, a, there's a peace and a calm that we have because we know the ending of things, so we shouldn't be troubled by it, however most people are, but we really, I mean, if we understand what the scripture says about this, none of this was unexpected. Yeah. The only question was, how much of it would we see? Yeah. Yeah, and so it's dizzying. I mean, it can be depressing. Uh, it can be overwhelming, 
to, you know, and like it, I mean, this just didn't happen overnight. I think that that uh, we're uh, seeing the result of a well-oiled, deep, dark state uh, uh, condition uh, that, you know, like that many of us weren't, weren't, weren't really dialed into, particularly people that don't study the prophetic, um, you know, are like probably waylaid by it. For those of us who are the beloved of Jesus and his followers and, 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 and studiers of the word of God, if that's the right word, studiers, <laughs> um, uh, then we're not, we're not really, we aren't, uh, depressed by it what's happening right right and in fact if anything we're actually encouraged because god's right on time uh the bible is uh proving itself to be accurate and true and that's encouraging you know i mean like the bible tells us to not be troubled because these things must come to pass i just i was taken aback because i didn't know that i was going to be born in a season to where i was going to be seeing these kinds of things But it is encouraging at the end of the day. It really is. Yeah, and I think when I first started studying this stuff in the 80s, I remember just being really excited, young believer, and thinking, wow, yeah, all that stuff's going to happen. But when you're at, you know, that might have been at 10,000 feet, but you're at ground level for some of this stuff, and you go, oh, wait a minute. There's pestilences and plagues, and there's, there's, there are threats to our livelihoods, which, you know, the economy was still intact. There's still a veneer of normality. Um, and our livelihoods, not everyone's, obviously, because COVID took care of a lot of that. So we basically can move about. We can still share the gospel. We can still have church. We can still do this. And we want to do it until we can't do it anymore, obviously. So we don't really know what's around the corner. So we got to keep filling our little hope buckets up, right? And so we want to talk about hope today. He says, um, uh, he has a list here. This is, again, Dave Hubley. Is disaster overload a message in itself? The below list... Not of the individual events, but an overview of the big picture alone, I believe, is a significant testimony to their impact on the entire world's population and the growing realization that something ominous is building. And I do think that the world knows this. So he uh, he says um, he just has a list here of several, and we're just going to go through a few here. A few here. He says the terms apocalyptic and of biblical proportions are commonly used to describe these events, even by secular media today. The severity of the current disastrous events eclipses what would have been considered normal cycles even just a year ago. That's interesting because, you know, it's like the frog in the pot, right? Sometimes you don't notice that things are getting much worse. The simultaneous occurrences are startling in their nonstop frequency. And he lists 100-year event floods, 500-year floods, 1,000-year floods are descriptors commonly appearing in the news now. Not meant to be unkind, but even those who have been plodding along in total ignorance of world conditions are not just starting to take notice, but are aware and uneasy about these natural disasters. So, I mean, you guys have been following the floods, right? And um, the only thing we're really missing is big earthquakes. Um, what, what is, you know, he, he says, is, is this a message in itself? What's it going to take for people to wake up? Is it, is it are we sort of like, because um, we share the gospel one person at a time. And I don't believe there's going to be a revival, you know, on a large scale. Mm-hmm. Um, but we share the gospel one person at a time. But is there such a thing as, as maybe uh, people more and more waking up to this? Or are they just going to be lulled into what we call the tribulation period? What do you guys think? I think some will wake up and some won't. 
some will comply and do what they're told and uh yeah. you know count on count on government and and uh you know I, I mean it's easier to comply to the to the world yeah. uh you know uh but in the end uh it uh leads to separation from god uh so to answer your question i do think that there will be people waking up and realizing that this is all about just the imminent uh, soon appearing of our king. Mm -hmm. Chris, I wanted to ask you, we were talking on the phone yesterday, if in uh, according to Revelation, if we're in the church of Laodicea, mm -hmm. they won't be waking up, not enough. or Right? Yeah. I mean, because she said no revival, and I agree. I don't think there's going to be another Azusa Street or something mm -hmm. like that, the wide-scale mm -hmm. stuff that they had. Right. The, and the problem with the, the church at Laodicea isn't, if you look through it, there's nothing about apostasy or doctrinal issues. They're, theirs is apathy. Theirs is indifference. Mm. They're just convinced that they've got it all figured out and that they don't really need anything. And so that's what I believe you find with the church. But on, on our this article here, when I was reading through it, of course, you can also a parallel track of how this is looked at. And we were talking about this on the way over here to the studio um, our the population of this country has increased by more than 100 million people since the early 70s. So I can tell you, like where we live, where I live in, in Texas, they're building houses along floodplains. So uh, something that would have been, you know, there, it, there's areas of low-lying, there's low-lying areas where there is development. Well, 100 years ago, there weren't houses there, so there was nothing to get wrecked by any mm. kind of a flood. Mm. So there's also the proximity part of this, but here's the more important part of it. All that you really want to find out is when these kinds of things occur, what is the solution that is offered by the people who are making a big deal of it? So the media is, is making such a big deal about climate this and all these things mm -hmm. so that it's it's almost like verbal clickbait that you get from cnn and those types to mm. try to overhype something and make it seem as though it's unprecedented without any context so there is a there's ulterior motives to this i believe mm. and because there's there's an end game for these people and it really becomes a matter of well, how do we control the masses and make them do what we want them to do? Make the problem bad enough, and you'll get people to do all kinds of things that are against their interest. COVID was a great example of that, and it's just getting worse. It is just getting worse. Mm -hmm. um, like you mentioned, a man-made climate change. Of course, that's that's the hysteria plus COVID. Now, um, they call us the flyover states, and that just means basically we don't acknowledge your existence in the Midwest, and we don't care what you think. Um, because the media is on the coast. And so when they come out with these tone-deaf comments about masks and uh, jabs and all these things, and I guess I'm really shocked that somehow they did not get the memo that we're not doing this again. Well, most of us aren't. Some will, right? Like you say, some will just comply because it's easier. And there's fear involved, tremendous fear. You know, you don't want to kill your... You know, let's just resurrect. You know, you're going to kill your grandma if you don't wear a mask. And they're going to resurrect all that stuff. So I guess what I'm thinking is, <sighs> I don't know. I lost my train of thought, but I'm wondering about compliance when it comes to um, COVID and, and the masks and the jabs. And do you guys think that we're going to start this all over again? Do you, do you really think that people are going to do this thing again? I guess I really want to know what you think about that. I think they're going to try to get us to do it again. I think it's kind of inevitable. 
worse? I mean, do you think they'll clamp, clamp down even worse maybe? And I don't know if they can. Well, but. I think, you know, part of the end game is they want to continue with this divisiveness mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. they, you know, because some are going to do exactly what the government tells them to do. Those, uh, you know, and then there's going to be a whole lot more that aren't going to buy into it this time. So, you know, I mean, at the end of the day, a civil war, you know, probably sounds like a good idea uh, to, you know, the government, you know, because it's just chaos. It's just further chaos. And then it gives them another reason to step in and and then have a reason to forcefully take control so they can fix the problem. More control. And it ultimately becomes a a matter, I would say, as a state-by-state thing. But there are a number of people, our state back in Texas, where I come, where I am now, um, would pretty much, well, they've already passed legislation that we won't do the mandates again. And ultimately, it's all born from this. What you guys did the last time was such a, a spectacular disaster that you're asking us to do the exact same thing again, why uh, Why would we even think of compliance with something so harebrained as what you did the last time? So the one thing which is really sad and good at the same time, it's sad that we no longer have confidence in our government, but it's good that people don't have confidence in government. Yeah, right. So uh, it's right. like you, there's those that weird, almost seemingly contradiction Mm-hmm. Um, that's taken place, and it's because they were demonstrably a horrible manager of COVID. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And doing the same thing um, again, expecting different results. Yeah. Isn't that the, isn't that the definition, definition of insanity? insanity. Um, and we're looking at increasing intensities and occurrences of earthquakes worldwide, I guess. Um, I haven't heard a lot about earthquakes, but um, many places have received a year or more of rain in one day. One received seven inches of rain in 45 minutes. In other severe droughts here, this is interesting too, with a huge loss of crop yield and an inability to feed livestock, this will result in severe food shortages. I don't know, this sounds like birth pangs to me, right? Earthquakes in diverse places, plagues, pestilences, um, that sort of thing. Um, horrible, destructive wildfires. That's another strange one. See, and those are also, a lot of those cases you can say it's bad land management. Mm. And once again, stuff burns up because people now live there, and so we pay Mm. more attention Mm -hmm. to it. So, again, the idea of context, and you want to ask yourself the question, is it really unprecedented or is this cyclical? Because we were talking about this on the way here. Much of North America had ice sheets or what we would call glaciers as far down as Georgia. And now, of course, no one was here to see them, because we have no record of them, and yet they receded. And as we were jokingly saying in the car right over here, that was before any of the capitalist pig white Europeans could, you know, <laughs> damage the environment with, right. with CO2. Yeah. But yet those things receded. That means it had to have happened naturally because you can't attribute any man-made cause mm-hmm. to it. So it makes me say these things are cyclical, but we're trying to assign blame to someone because then there is – Therefore, what do we do about it? And that's when it becomes ugly. Yeah. Well, the Canadian wildfires were strange for us because we had two, probably two months easily of nonstop smoke down here. We've never had that before. We've had a little bit, you know, from the West, you know, filtering this way when the West is burning. But to have Canada burning to such a degree, I, and, and no one talks about it on the news. They don't, maybe they don't want to, because they want to blame it, I suppose, on climate change. Um, and I guess my brain travels backwards here, and I think, well, maybe somebody started it to further the climate change agenda. I mean, I guess we're just not going to know. Um, wars and rumors of wars abound. Uh, yeah, we've, everybody said Ukraine, Russia, that was going to last six weeks. Well, we're still here. 
we're still here, and, and no one really, really knows what's going on. There's so many questions and very few answers. I don't trust any of it. Uh, it goes on to say, human governments and NGOs, those are non-governmental organizations, are making absurd pronouncements and creating laws and policies that fly in the face of facts and even a seven-year-old can reason through, mm-hmm. yeah, probably. Um, so, uh, Bruce, you want to weigh in on any of this? I mean, uh, he says, is God moving heaven and earth to wake people up? I know God wills that none should perish. Um, do you feel that this is something that, that uh, you know, maybe God is just waking the world up? And I know we talked about this. Is it possible? Is the world going to wake up? But what, what was your takeaway in general from the article? Do you have anything specific you want to add to it? Uh, I just concur that, that uh, you know, certainly, certainly birth pangs, uh, you know, and uh, God, I mean, this is this is God's domain. People think that uh, they have a lot more control. You know, we tend to think that we have a lot more control than right. we do. Right. So I think I think God's on the throne. Uh, you know, there are uh, certainly some uh, crazy stuff. Uh, you know, as far as weather and the Earth being the Earth, uh, that uh, is under God's feet um, happening. Uh, so I also think that in these, uh, you know, the plagues and the famines and the terrors and the great signs from heaven, I mean, obviously, obviously God is in charge of all of that and, uh, he's using it, all of it, he's using all of it for his glory and, uh, for our good to ultimately, Turn from our wicked ways and recognize that there is a God mm-hmm. and he is in control and we're not. Well, and I think it's a double whammy, too, when the church can see these things happening and there should be a little more urgency about what we do Yeah, and realize we're still here for a reason. Chris Quintana, um, if, if there's any dominionist or kingdom now, people listening right now, they're losing their minds because they believe, hold on, everybody just slow down. We can, we can take this back. Right. Well, again, God must watch all of this and hear man's solutions and think, you know, oh, they're so cute when they think they're that important. <laughs> Saturday you morning know, cartoons. It's just got to be, it's got to be one of those things where he just has to, to say, yeah, once again, man has made himself into something that he really isn't. But again, when I, when I watch these kinds of things taking place all around us, the solution is worse than the problem. Mm. And that's, if, if we could ask this question, because again, from an eschatological point of view, we know that when when the whole world system changes under the Antichrist, you're talking about the most consolidated amount of power in the fewest amount of people that the world has ever seen. Mm-hmm. And so are we trending in that direction? Absolutely. And so everything that we look at that we're talking about here, the solution is always people need to give up their temporary you know, creature comforts because the people that know what's going on need to correct the problem. You probably hmm. saw this, Mary, because there was somebody who, who asked this question. If you could save the world by eating bugs, and they, they, they gave their recipes for these <laughs> things, wouldn't you do it if it could save the world? And my reply to that whole thing is, well, A, the world is not so fragile that it needs me to eat bugs to make sure that it exists. <laughs> and if it was that fragile, let it fry. Yeah. Because yeah. then it, at that point, what's the use of living if if the earth is so fragile that man can destroy mm-hmm. it? It's just bizarre. That's a great perspective, you know, and there's a lot in the lost column right now. But still, <laughs> you know, um, there is a way that we can process this. And I was thinking this week um, about endings. 
And there are so many things that are coming to an end. You know, life as we know it, our, our nation, there are so many things that are seem to be winding down and ending. And I ran across a great little uh, little anecdote here that I want to share this with people, and, and we're going to segue to the next segment. We're going to take a break in about five minutes. Uh, this is Standard for the Truth. My name is Mary Danielson, talking to Chris Quintana and Bruce Carroll, live in the studio. Um, Johann Sebastian Bach, the great German composer, happened to be a sound sleeper. His children discovered the best way to wake him was to go to the piano and play a few measures of some composition, but leave off the very last note or chord. Their father would instantly arise, go to the piano, and strike the final chord. The one thing he could not tolerate was an incomplete piece of music. It had to reach its proper conclusion. Donald Gray Barnhouse, the great uh, preacher who tells the story, said he tried it in his own home. He played Silent Night on the piano, and he stopped just shy of the final note, and then he listened. Upstairs, he heard his son trying to finish the song on his harmonica. Another of his children was singing the last line and adding the final note. Someone else called out, did you do that on purpose? A man whose number 666 will arise on the world stage for a few short moments before facing God's judgment. Like a song without a final note, neither the false prophet or the Antichrist can bring history to its final closure. Only the true God, Jesus Christ, can do that. He will complete what he started by his first coming, and it's the ultimate ending. And I love this story because I think we're wired to want closure. I think we um, uh, we need it. Um, I've often said that these times are kind of like waiting for the other shoe to drop. And I think I've felt that way for a very, very long time, that we're waiting um, for another shoe to drop. And I I, I collect idioms. What can I say? I collect idioms for, for uh, a living. <laughs> and when you're waiting for the other shoe to drop, it says, the expression probably had its origin in boarding or rooming houses of the early 1900s where residents were crowded into multiple tiny rooms and the walls were thin or for multi-floor apartment dwellings in cities like New York and Chicago where one tenant's bedroom was always directly underneath the other. So when someone came home and took off their shoes, it'd be normal to hear a thud when one shoe dropped and then a second thud when the other shoe dropped. You can imagine that when someone came home, perhaps a worker with heavy boots, they'd sit on their bed or their chair and take off their footwear. They'd take off their first shoe and let it drop to the floor where it makes a very loud noise. Now imagine the residents in other rooms hearing the shoe drop, knowing exactly what it is, and then waiting for the other shoe to drop. The resident, though, perhaps realizing what a loud noise he'd made, places the second boot softly on the floor instead of dropping it, and it leaves the other residents anticipating a noise that doesn't come but they keep waiting, not wanting to be caught unaware hmm. or startled. I just love that. Um, I that's think an idiom. It's an idiom. Saying? You know yes. what's fascinating about that is that uh, <clears throat> my wife and I were talking about that very idiom like in the middle of the night uh, last week, and I had this thought, I don't want to live waiting for the other shoe to drop in a negative manner. Yeah. You know, I mean, we have a blessed hope. Yeah. We're God's kids. We uh, have a wonderful future, and I, I, don't, I don't believe that I am supposed to live waiting for the next bad thing to happen. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? It's a great take, Bruce. Yeah. I wasn't even thinking And so we songs. talked about that, and then we went back to sleep. It was a beautiful Do you always thing. have profound uh, well, conversations? No, no, no. Uh, actually, it was, just, it was just one of those things. You know, like I think I got up to go to the bathroom, and I woke her up, and I had the thought. Like, I think I fell asleep thinking about that. And then when I came back to bed, she was sort of awake and stirring. And I said, hey, I I want to tell you something. And so I told her that. And she said, that's a good idea, honey. Good night. <laughs> and then, you know, but really, I mean, you know, we need to be positive. We need to be encouraged. Mm-hmm. 
because we're, I mean, we're kids of the king of kings, and we are promised wonderful things. It doesn't mean we're, you know, we aren't going to have to endure some hardships, yeah. but greater is he that's in me than he that is in the world. Chris, we got a minute left before the break. Do you want to add anything to that? Yeah, because the idea of waiting for the other shoe to drop, there, there are big things that we know for sure are future, and there are a number of things between here and there that we just don't know. And it's why one of the things you hear in churches all the time I just think is really misplaced. They'll say, God has a wonderful plan for your life. Mm-hmm. Um, we shouldn't make that statement. We should say, God has a wonderful plan for your eternity. Mm-hmm. Between here and there, it's mm-hmm. dicey, and you don't know what's around every corner. Mm-hmm. You just have to kind of wait for it to play out. So mm-hmm. we should be honest with how we talk to people about that. Mm-hmm. If you want to know about the, the future that God has for you in the eternal sense, it's grand. It's beyond words. But between here and there, some pretty awful things can take place. Mm-hmm. So we want to make sure that we're careful in how we approach the world on that topic. Yeah, absolutely. And a lot of people have family members that don't know Jesus yet. Mm-hmm. So they really, there's a foot on the accelerator in the world. And there's a foot on the brakes kind of in the church because there's so many people who don't know Jesus mm-hmm. yet. So we're going to take a break. We're going to come back and talk about hope. Um, you can go to standupforthetruth.com if you want to get T-shirts, mugs, all that sort of thing. we got some great gear on there. Um, click on gear and it'll take you to Red Pill Prints and they're a great company up in Canada and no the shipping is not awful it's they're really quick they're right on the ball some great stuff so um, come back uh, with us after this break we have take two minutes to, for our sponsors we'll be back with Chris Quintana and Bruce Carroll I want to remind you that Bruce Carroll will be performing at Word Fellowship in Nina on Sunday September 10th at 1.30 p.m. Wanted to do that for our good friend Mike Braun that put this list together for us. Or Stand Up for the Truth coming up. Your prayers and ongoing financial support keep our Truth at Any Cost mission strong. StandUpForTheTruth.com. Welcome back to Stand Up for the Truth. I'm here in studio with Chris Quintana and Bruce Carroll. They're here for the Prophecy Conference. This is the 27th Annual Great Lakes Prophecy Conference at Calvary Chapel in Appleton, 2136 East Newberry Street. And registration is closed online, but you can register at the door. Um, you can come and go. It's $35 for the whole weekend. And uh, it's, uh, there's a schedule online, ccappleton.org, if you want to know who's doing what when. And uh, we're looking forward to it because especially in these times, and we're talking during the break about how easy it is, even for believers, to be anxious. I think believers are more anxious than ever. They're turning to, um, I, I've talked to many, turning to medication and things like that to get them through these times. That That's just really not the answer, you know. Um, read the Bible, trust the Lord. Um, and as we get older, too, I think I noticed my parents got a little more fearful later in life. And I, I thought of Ecclesiastes 118, with, with much knowledge comes much sorrow. You just know how things go. You've seen a lot of bad endings, bad landings. Bad everything, and you just know how it goes. And yet, the scripture doesn't change. We are called to uh, continue to believe God for all of these things. But um, faith is for the future, right? Prophecy is for the future, and we're not to look back. Um, so, uh, Chris, why don't you kick us off with some um, hopeful things here? We really want to spend this next half hour just talking about hope. Um, like I said, Christians are even in denial how bad things are. Churches don't teach prophecy either anymore, right? So they're not even equipping their people to come through these times with any kind of faith intact. So, Chris, what can you tell us about where we should start when it comes to having hope in the midst of all this insanity? A couple of things about that. Um, if churches don't teach the matters of prophecy, then they're going to make sure that their people are moored in the things of the earth much more so. 
And so um, when, you, when you stop to think about the word hope, just what we think about it as far as the world is concerned, you can hope for a better job. You can hope for a pay increase. You can hope that you get the home, all those things. But there is always uncertainty with it. There's no, sure, uh, there's no assurance of an outcome. When we talk about hope as a, as a believer, it's, a, it's an entirely different thing. Because there is, with us, there's a hope that meaning, it means that there's an expectation. You know what's going to be mm-hmm. taking place. So there are a number of places where hope is, is mentioned in Scripture. My favorite one, uh, 1 John 3, uh, chapter 1, uh, chapter verse 1, I should say, is where he says, Now, behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us, that we should be called his children. That's, the, that's right out of the box. Mm-hmm. That's an assurance. It's, a, it's not even something that's in doubt. It's a, it's a statement of fact. And it says, now, we don't know what we will be, but we know that when we see him, we'll be like him. And so anyone who has this hope in them, and I'm paraphrasing this a little bit, anyone who has this hope in them, residing in them, is purified, just as he, Jesus, is pure. So with us, there's a hope with expectation. We don't look at it and say as if, it's a matter of when. So we're just, we're waiting for that to be revealed, but the, the outcome is one of certainty. So to the believer... It's a whole different word. When we just say hope as a believer as opposed to hope in the world, the world sees everything as an hmm. uncertain outcome. We're hoping for something, but we don't know necessarily if it's going to work out. Mm-hmm. To the believer, the hopefulness is one of expectation, knowing it's only an inevitability. It's a matter of time, and then it will be realized. Yes, uh, there are many great verses about hope. And um, we were talking about anxiety before, and I, I, th- I think that... Um, and I know for myself, and I, I, my, my mom was a very anxious person, and it, it's, it's so easy to just fall back on that and, and hope, hoping, hoping that you can come to something in your mind that will settle your heart down when actually faith is the thing that settles your heart down. And, and Jesus says, be anxious for nothing. Mm. And that's a real challenge, I think, in these times. It is. Nothing means nothing, right, Bruce? I mean, anxious right. for nothing. Right. Taking every thought captive, then, to me, is the exercise that has to take place uh, so that we are anxious for nothing. Because uh, which of you can add a cubit to your stature, right? Doesn't Jesus say, well, you know, worry if it helps. You know what I mean? Tongue in cheek. Worry if it helps. It does not help. It no, it absolutely doesn't. nothing. And, uh, you know, I go back to the we can't please God without faith. Faith comes mm. by hearing, hearing oh, by yeah. the word. Uh, I referenced this earlier, uh, Matthew 24, 6. See to it that you are not troubled, for all these things must come to pass. Um, in my in my notes here, uh, I have Bible prophecy reminds us that the deception, conflict, devastation, and tribulation of the last days is no match for Almighty God. Mm-hmm. When we experience terrible events like COVID-19, pandemic, and persecution, Scripture reminds us that God declares the end from the beginning. Mm-hmm. And that his counsel shall stand, uh, Isaiah 46.10. And by understanding the signs of the end times in this context, we can join the Apostle Paul in saying, for our light affliction, which is Mm -hmm. but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. So it's that hanging on, it's pressing in, it's uh, loving and trusting our Father and being anxious for nothing, like you said. Yeah, when the instruments are offline and they're not working, what do you do? Because you can go by instruments that say, well, this is going this way, and uh, this is my altitude, this is my speed, everything's fine, (laughs) right? right? Right. And then uh, all of a sudden, the instruments go offline, and you don't have that anymore. And I think what a privilege it is, and I said this before, I've said this often, to be around in these times, 
because of all the people who have always had questions. What the disciples asked Jesus, you know, what will be the sign of your coming and what, what will be the end? And uh, um, Daniel, uh, he must have been curious too because God had to say, you know, no, no, you go your way, Daniel. Uh, that ending is for somebody else to experience. So what a privilege it is to be alive here. Um, and the prophets, Matthew thirteen seventeen. I tell you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see but did not see it and hear what you hear and did not hear it. And what did John see? That's my last question on that. What did John see? Because it's possible we'd go, oh, that's what John saw. And we would know exactly what, how to interpret that, even though he did not. So fascinating. Chris, you've been in, um, you've been in First Peter, I understand. Mm-hmm. You've been teaching during the week. Mm-hmm. And you have some very interesting insights from First Peter, which is a fantastic book. So loaded. There, yeah, we were talking about this once again before uh, before we went on the air, and um, there's something that that Peter is is saying to his audience. And again, this is some this is just Bible study 101. We know, we want to make sure that every time that we come to the Scripture, we recognize that we're not the primary audience. We're not the first people seeing this. Mm-hmm. So the people that were seeing this for the first time, he identifies as those that are part of the the dispersion, the ones who were uh, who had to leave Israel. Uh, more than likely because of the persecution that you read about in Acts chapter 8. At the opening of that, after the stoning of Stephen, the first martyr of the church, by Acts chapter 8 it says that there was nobody really left of the church except for the apostles. So the persecution was that bad. We know Paul, by chapter 9, was on his way to Damascus to enslave the church or to imprison it. So these people go as far as what is modern day the central part of Turkey. And uh, that's the area that he's writing to at this point. So He's writing to Jewish believers in Messiah, and he uses Old Testament uh, visual things that they would understand. But then he makes a spiritual application to them, because when he he mentions these three things, and it's found in the ninth verse of uh, uh, 1 Peter chapter 2, where he says, But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and a holy nation. So when you see those things, when he talks about chosen generation or the priesthood or the nation, those are nouns. The other things are adjectives, a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and a holy nation. So they would understand a priesthood, and yet there was no reason for offering offerings like the priests did. So what is then the offering? And they're not Levitical, they're royal. Hmm. So this means that they're children of a king, and so whatever tribal designation doesn't matter anymore. But you're offering yourself or on behalf of others, you're ministering before the Lord and you're serving him as the priests would have served the Lord in those times. But because you're his child, your priesthood is completely different. The first two where he talks about being a chosen generation, that's where we get the word, it's genos, it's genetics. So they're no longer considering their genetics as Jewish people, but rather there's been a change of their identity on the most basic of level. So in your genes as a church, it's no longer the distinction of you're a descendant of Abraham bloodline kind of thing. You're actually the church because you've been bought with a, a different blood entirely. And your identification is completely different, whether Jew or Gentile. So then the, the last of these things where he talks about that you're also a, a holy nation, that's where we get um, it's, uh, um, it's ethnos. So your ethnicity is something that's completely different. It's set apart and it's holy. So for us, when we talk, why does the world not understand us? It doesn't know our language. 
It doesn't know where we're from. It doesn't know where we're going. It knows nothing about us because we're a completely different genetic. We're a completely different ethnicity. We have a different culture, a different language, a different understanding. And that doesn't mean that that they can't know because we were on the outside at one time as well. We weren't part of those things. So as it was with them, so it is with us as well. The idea of a Christian identity is not just some kind of a worldview. It is a substantive, completely different thing. What never existed before now exists spiritually. It's not about what is physical. Very interesting. And as the bride of Christ, I like to think of it as that we are veiled in this life. We have a veil on. No one knows who we are. And they won't know until we're gone. I mean, you think about the world wondering, so we we get raptured and so-and-so's gone. And, and I think it's going to leave a lot of people scratching their heads. Now they can say what they want about UFOs, whatever. Hmm. But they don't know who the bride is yet. They will eventually. Obviously, we're going to come back with Jesus. But, um, you know, we, we're veiled and we see through a glass darkly. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, again... I, while you were talking, I was thinking, eye has not seen, nor has ear heard, nor has it even entered in the heart of man what God has prepared. We can't even, we can't even have a complete thought on that because it hasn't even entered our hearts mm-hmm. yet. So that's fascinating. Bruce, any comments on what we're talking about? Do you got any, anything you, you're pondering? You look thoughtful over there. Well, I mean, I'm just thinking, you know, it sure is going to be nice in that twinkling of the eye to know as we're known. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I, I mean, that, that's the reality of the believer. Until until that happens, you know, we press in and occupy, and we and we and we do our assignment uh, uh, in a. Let me see, what's the term I'm trying to think of? In a glorifying, honoring way. Yeah. Because we all have assignments. Yeah. And it's pretty cool that our souls were born in a time such as this, where uh, we have an opportunity to meet encounter people that are scared to death they're uncertain they they have no you know the meaning of life escapes them and we have an opportunity to share the good news of the gospel yeah, yeah. in grocery stores and gas stations and restaurants which which my wife who is very evangelistic loves to do uh, you know i mean i've seen her Laying hands on women in produce sections of grocery store, leading them to Christ. She actually let wow. a let a uh, young girl at an In and Out Burger in in uh, Palm Desert to Christ. You know, wow. because the, you know, I mean, that's her that's her passion and that's her gifting. And so, all of us have assignments. Yeah. God has a you know has an assignment for all of us. And I just think it's pretty cool that our that our souls were, were, were born in a time such as yeah, this. absolutely. This is Stand Up For The Truth. My name is Mary Danielson. I'm in the studio with Chris Quintana and Bruce Carroll, and they are in town for the Prophecy Conference that starts, kicks off at 1 o'clock today. Bruce, you've been traveling, hopefully, for a very long time. You have seen a lot. You've done a lot. Um, and, and God has given you the music to reach people's hearts and to reach them deep down because we know what music does in people's hearts. Hmm. It really softens things up and gets them ready. You know, you've seen a lot of changes in the church, um, and this is, I don't want to put you on the spot, but are, what strikes you the most as the biggest change, having gone to many different churches over the years, what are some of the biggest changes in the church? Does it have to do with prophecy or just having people have their Bibles or what, what, what have you seen? What, if you can encapsulate that, what, what do you think is the thing that has stuck out the most to you in all your years of being on the road? Hmm. Well, uh, prophecy is something that really isn't spoken of much in pulpits. 
uh, and less now than ever. Um, uh, there's a whole lot of churches that have uh, shuttered and closed since mm. COVID. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things that uh, really woke me up, uh, I was on I was on staff of a large church for a number of years, and um, the fact that uh, I was involved in a work where they were more concerned about putting meats in the seats and making sure to not say anything that was going to upset a major donor. That was the beginning of my eyes being open, which is why I had to leave. Um, and I think it's, I think there's a remnant, you know, that's what I love about Calvary chapels is that, they're, you know, precept upon precept, sound doctrine, um, all about not avoiding anything in the, in, the, in the word, preaching the whole counsel of God. That's important. I think that's more an exception than the rule anymore. Yeah, I think so. Mary and and Chris, you do the prophecy conference every six months. It seems at, at Calvary Chapel. How many times has somebody walked up to you and said, "I've never heard anything like this before"? Yeah. <laughs> they don't yeah. talk about this at my church. Surprisingly, right. yeah, pastors are not equipping the saints. And I think you know between churches closing and pastors not equipping, what. What is not being understood here about what church is for? This is that age-old question, cause or effect, okay. symptom or disease. So when, when Bruce said that, that prophecy is not being taught, that's not the disease. That's the symptom. Mm-hmm. The yeah. disease is that they don't read the scriptures. They don't teach through mm-hmm. the scriptures because if they did, you can't avoid prophecy. Mm-hmm. So there it is. I mean, it's really not complicated. Are it's they a very easy thing teaching to understand. it? At seminaries, are the pastors mm-hmm. even equipped? And I'm, I'm mm-hmm. I don't know. Depends on the seminary, and uh, ultimately, you, any seminary is going to have their own presuppositions. They're going to have their own biases. So, whatever uh, place you're going to, you're going to basically regurgitate what's being told to you in mm-hmm. order to get your degree. Uh, I don't have a problem with higher education. I'm cool with that whole thing. But let's just be honest: you get your degree because you're telling them what they want to hear. Um, well, how can you simple. teach what you don't know? Yeah, yeah, that's well, what I'm saying. See, ultimately, the Calvary chapels are kind of one of those things, and we get really blasted by the you know the academics because well, you guys are not you know studied and you're not you're not the theologians and all the rest of it. So, well, neither were the apostles. So what they did is they they heard and they learned directly from the Lord, and then they passed that on to the next group of people. So if you're if you're able intellectually, if you will, to understand what you're reading and, and uh, can understand the language and you can cross-reference with what else the Bible has to say on the topic, if you're just going to do your due diligence, you can understand what the Word has to say and you can become a scholar that way or a theologian or whatever you want to. You don't become that because of your education pedigree. Yeah. That's just that's a that's a complete mm-hmm. fabrication as far as I'm concerned. Mm-hmm. So you can teach the matter of prophecy if you're careful with the language and if you're careful with the understanding of you know how you how do you get to to what is knowledge biblically based. Mm-hmm. So you know I, mm-hmm. again I I just have a problem with how people approach that whole thing. If you don't have a degree from this particular seminary, then you can't yeah. teach the Bible. Yeah. Okay, well, that's a modern construct, to use that, that term that we hear so often. I'm hoping there are some pastors out there who do see the writing on the wall and are reversing course, even if it means going back to school, quote-unquote, through books or where people have gone before and already laid the groundwork. There's plenty of books out there on Bible prophecy. They really are without excuse, unless they're mired in liberal theology. 
Mm-hmm. You know, diversity, equity, inclusion, um, social justice. Boy, if that didn't hijack, look at when that came along. Absolutely hijacked prophecy. Um, you know, like I said, I, for me, it was the early 80s. And, and there was a, a newspaper um, ad in all the major newspapers of the world. It said, the Christ is now here. I still have the original ad that was taken out in USA Today and major newspapers all over the world. And, of course, it was just another look over here, look over here. Mm-hmm. Many shall um, arise and there will be false Christ and that sort of thing. But I would have hoped that would have been a wake-up call even. And now that they were this far into such a unique time, I guess my prayer is that some pastors would go, you know what, I I blew it. But you can still you can still pick up that pick up the ball and run with it. You can still understand prophecy. Um, and then there's Dominion theology. I think Crash you alluded to that sort of thing. That's really taken hold because of NAR, the New Apostolic Reformation. There's Dominion theology out there and. Also, replacement theology. Replacement theology. Yeah. When you were talking yeah. about Peter, I'm going. Uh, I'm hearing the royal priesthood, and I'm going. There's some uh, even the Jews listen like that. Whoa, 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 whoa! That's almost blasphemy. You're talking this, about where you're priesthood. That well, that's ultimately where my second session is going to be all on that. What's what's the church involved with now? Yeah. You know what, what's what is the church uh, occupying its time with? As we watch the world melt down around us, unfortunately, the church is doing its own thing and completely unaware of the days in which we live, yeah. by and large. And that's just one of them, the dominionists, but they're no different than the kingdom now, people that are just thinking that somehow their efforts are going to bring back the return of Jesus Christ. Or they, I don't know how they even find a biblical calling to do that. Mm. There's no scriptural basis on that. Yeah. I ran into a younger pastor within the last month at a church in another state. And we were having casual conversation around a cup of coffee. And I said, come, Lord Jesus. And he said, well, you know, I don't think he's coming back anytime soon because we are so screwed up. We got to we got to get stuff cleaned up. You know, I mean, I mean, you know, he's coming for a a holy, blameless, spotless bride. And we aren't that we got to clean ourselves up before he comes back. And this is an influential Wow. Pastor from a church. Wow. From a kind of thriving church. Yeah. Well, they're going to say, where's the promise of his coming? And I've said this on the podcast before. Mm-hmm. It, they're attacking God's character. You promised. Where's the promise of your coming? Not where is your coming. Right? Yeah, it's a, in a direct assault on God's nature that, that he's not going to keep his promise. And sounds a little bitter to me, but, you know, I... Well, I asked him, you know, how do we do that? I mean, you know, and how clean do we have to be? And are we able to clean yeah. ourselves? <laughs> I mean, are we in perpetual cleaning mode? A, yeah, like, it's a like work. We have the control trip. to do that. Yeah. Well, wow. see, that, that's where you want to go. Oh, I read about you guys. You're the scoffers <laughs> that Peter talked about. <laughs> or yeah, mid trip. Oh, 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 you're yeah. a mid trip. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I just yeah. have to laugh about. This. Oh, you're one of those. Yeah. <laughs> if we're if we're going to be really honest about this, the church is a remnant, and so the ones sitting here at this table and the ones that are in this room, we're the ones that are looking at the world, and, and it's like. It's like the never-ending fire drill mm-hmm. or the dog chasing its tail, whatever metaphor you want. Yeah. And we're watching this whole thing and going, man, isn't that the darndest thing? Yeah. You know, what's your end game, dog? When you catch your tail, what do you think yeah. you're going to do with that? Mm-hmm. So yeah. you, you just keep – you sit back and you watch it and you go, they don't – they have such a lack of awareness of the days in which we live. And they don't realize – they take such pride in their knowledge and yet they don't realize how quickly manipulated they are by yeah. whatever it is. I'll say this last thing because when it comes to – the powers that be, and again, that consolidation of power that we have in this world today, and I've said this before, give me the top 
10 most influential people on the planet. I don't care who they are. I don't care what their pedigree is, whether we know their names or not. However, we could determine, if we could find out who the top 10 people on the food chain of humanity is, they're still puppets. They do nothing of their own power. They're just playing out the string of humanity, mm -hmm. and they're just put in that place of prominence. But they have no control over what they're doing, no matter how much they think. Mm -hmm. They are just doing what is already, God is the one that's ultimately in control. We see that clearly as the yeah. church because the scripture tells us about that. Right. But they're oblivious to it. Well, and I'm thinking, I'm putting next to that, just juxtaposing your dear wife praying with someone in the producile, and then you've got your Klaus Schwab's and all your mucky mucks in your deep state, and they're doing what they think is important. Nothing they do will ever compare to what your wife is doing mm. in the produce section. Right. You know, so uh, the world looks at these people and, and whatever it is they're doing. You know, there's nothing that, say, for instance, um, Nancy Pelosi or anything will, will ever do. And yet, we, like I said, here we are veiled. We're just going about our father's business. And I don't want to forget to bring in some uh, hopeful verses here. There are several good here. Romans fifteen thirteen. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. Abound in hope, not just have hope. Romans twelve twelve. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Those three things together: rejoicing, being patient, and being uh, prayerful. Hebrews eleven one. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. A couple more here, Isaiah forty thirty one. But they who wait for the Lord will renew their strength and mount up like mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary; they shall walk and not faint. And finally, First Peter one three. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope um, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Our hope is alive, right, Chris and uh, Bruce? Any last uh, comments? We got two minutes here. Oh, let me do this real quick because sure. I noticed you jumped right over that one. <laughs> What do I have open in front of me on my Bible? It says right here. This uh, I'm looking at your wow. notes of what you just read, and you skipped over that, but I have it right here yeah, open in front of me. It says this in, in Romans chapter 8, verse 24, For we are saved in this hope, but mm. hope that is seen is not actually hope. Mm. For why does one still hope for what it sees? But if we have hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. Mm man, if that is not the truth of the church, that this hopefulness, again, as I had mentioned earlier, it is an inevitability. It's only a matter of time. And so hmm. we wait for it with eagerness and expectation. That's funny. Oh, my goodness. I, I, I couldn't. I couldn't. I'm reading. I'm thinking, oh, no, we're going to. She's going to go over my verse. No, I'm, I'm old. I missed it. <laughs> Bruce, that is amazing. <laughs> Exclamation point, Hebrews 10, 23. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. For he who promised is faithful. is faithful. And that's what it's all about. Thank you guys so much for jumping in on this. We probably could have gone a lot longer. I really appreciate you being here live and being here for the conference. A lot of great sessions coming up. Again, we start at 1 o'clock, and you can register at the door. I think it's going to be a fantastic. Um, judging by the spiritual warfare, the encouragement is going to be off the charts. That's what I actually think. We've had just a, tons of spiritual warfare regarding this. So, um, hope you can join us. Um, again, starts at 1 o'clock today. Therefore, my beloved brethren, and I mean that, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Thank you for joining us. Uh, join us again on Monday for another podcast. God bless you. Have a great day on purpose. <laughs>